We're going to start we'll be talking about light in the darkness. We're coming into Advent. I don't know about you, we just had Thanksgiving and the change to the first Sunday of Advent seems rather abrupt. I mean, are you feeling that way? I'm still digesting turkey. I got this morning found out, it's a little hard to breathe. You know, I'm still full, you know. It's just, eat a lot of turkey. So, and then all of a sudden we're in Advent and it just seems like, okay, it seems like it's getting here too quick. And I'm not really quite ready for it. Uh, and, and this year, particularly, I want to say, you know, this is a little different kind of season than what we are used to doing for Advent. The, the last couple of years have been nuts and crazy, and so I think a lot of us are coming in with a little different perspective than what we've had in the past. And uh, so let's just own that a little bit as we come into this season. That's been kind of in my thoughts as we've come and planned for this, that uh, maybe this year needed to be a little different than what we've had in the past. So I'm just going to ask you to kind of bear with us as we come in and we talk about the light and the darkness because many of us have felt like we've been walking in darkness for the past couple of years. So uh, 19 years ago, uh, my sister and her family came over here and joined us for Christmas uh, here in uh, Austin. Uh, my sister worked at a Methodist church in the Houston area, Missouri City, and so our tradition had been that we always got together after the holidays were over because she had to work on Christmas and uh, and that's when we would join and most of the time we would do it down at my folks place at Goliad and uh, I, and I don't really honestly remember the reason we were coming here except that we were new here and I think my wife wanted them to all come up to our house for a change so um, they came here for the holidays and uh, and we had a great time uh, we did have an extended family member that came that was allergic to real trees so we, we, we bought an artificial tree that year and our kids groused about it we real tree and it's interesting now that that I, I put that artificial tree up in my son's home uh, yesterday the other day so two days ago on Friday so yeah okay but 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 you know it came and, and everybody came in and, and it was one of those things having the holidays set up like that that most of the time our kids enjoyed because you know we had Christmas and then everybody else came and we had Christmas so they got to do it twice you know and, and usually this was a good thing in their eyes and and so we came together we had a great time we had a wonderful time we had a great celebration together uh, ate together shared gifts with one another uh, had a wonderful time uh, and then eight weeks after that uh, I am calling my wife from Methodist Hospital in downtown Houston to tell her that my sister had died She'd gone into a hospital on Monday, and she died the following Sunday. And at the time we were talking, we had no idea what had happened, really. We didn't know what the cause was. And I can remember going into that, and we you know, began to plan for the service, and all of us kind of being in a, a little bit in a state of shock, I think, at that point. Uh, but me being very conscious of needing to support my, my mother and, and my stepfather and my brother-in-law and my nephews and nieces as we went into this and, and being the pastor in the family also being the one that they all turned to look to about how, what, how do we plan this service and so her pastor that she worked with and I got together and we laid out the service and I wanted to say a few things and my brother-in-law wanted to speak in this service and the pastor she worked with wanted to speak and it had been one of her wish, wishes uh, that she had expressed a, a couple times that at whatever time this happened that she wanted to have communion and so we were planning to do communion so we went right into this kind of mill, some of you have been there, of, of planning the service and getting it all put together and doing all the planning that goes with that and, and all the time me feeling like I, I needed to you know, kind of prop everybody up and, and then coming home right quick to get a change of clothes and the clothes I would need for the service and get Cindy and the kids and, and head back over. 
And the Thursday after that was when the service was. And uh, it was a big service because she'd been at this church for about 20-something years, and, and the place was packed, 500, maybe 600 people there. And, uh, and I can remember ahead of the service going to Cindy and saying, okay, I need you to run interference for me. Because, you know, all this time I've been, you know, I've been taking care of my mother and I've been taking care of my stepfather and my brother-in-law and my nephews and my nieces. And, and, and I'm going, you know, I'm, I, I know that I'm not done, you know, taking care of myself in the middle of this. I just haven't had the place to do that yet. I said, I need you to run interference between me and the family or else I'm not going to be able to get through this. And so in a very generous and gracious spirit, she did. She kind of made sure that no one pigeonholed me or got me off to the side or whatever and kind of shepherded me through that before the service. And then right before the service, she prayed with us who were going to be leading the service. And I, I think all of us would tell you, my brother-in-law and uh, Richard and myself, I think we would all say that we, we really felt like God was holding us up to carry us through that. And then we started serving communion to all these people. And we were doing it by intention like we used to do here. Y'all remember that? Someday we're going to do that again, by the way. But we went back to you know, the bread and the cup and all that. And I'm doing that. And as I'm going through that, of course, remember, there's 600 people here. All, all of a sudden, in the middle of that, I look up, and, and there's one of my oldest, dearest friends standing in front of me. I, I don't know how he's heard about any of this, because, frankly, I've been up to here. I don't know how word's gotten out. But one of my oldest, dearest friends from Corpus has come to be there. And, and I just started disintegrating as I was there, melting. Because all week, I was taking care of everybody else. And he came to be there for me. And it didn't change the situation. It didn't change what happened. But it changed everything else about that day for me. Because he came to be there for me. Let's pray. Mighty God, we offer thanks to you on this day as we begin this season. That we come and that we remember that you came for us. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I want to take you back now to the very beginning of the gospel story, back really to the beginning of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. I remind you, the, the waters, the deep for the Hebrews, is, is kind of a primordial chaos image that out of which things can be created, but also which carries destruction within it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You know, it's always amazing to me that God just spoke and, and, and things came into being. And if you lay out you know, and look up at the night sky and, and just kind of imagine... You know, what, what was that like that God spoke and this happened? Uh, God spoke and this happened. And then you know, to lay there and, and look up at the sky and look up at the Milky Way and think how insignificant you are. And then to realize 
that the Milky Way is just one of those other many stars you see out there. That those are mostly galaxies you're seeing scattered across the sky. And to realize that this vastness you're looking at is an insignificant part of the vastness of the universe. And that God spoke and that happened. In the prophet Isaiah, God says it this way. My, so my, is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When, when God speaks, things happen. And the word of God that created all of the vastness of all that is comes to be with us, Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him, and nothing came into being that was without Him. And what has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory, the glory as a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. I mean, the magnificence of the concept that the the Word that spoke into, into reality, everything that is, becomes enfleshed and comes to dwell among us as Jesus. That the Word would choose to come to be with us. And that's the message that comes out as you listen to the prophecies from out of the Old Testament where we're reminded that God cares about us and God is coming to be with us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And, and that verse gets quoted over into Matthew's gospel, right? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But if you take that passage from Matthew and you spread it out, you begin to see that God comes to us in ways that sometimes are different than what we expect. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, because of the the, the need to write concisely, because this is pre-printing press days, Scripture doesn't have long kind of inserts and things, but I think right here you have to kind of have an insert into that and and just think about what that meant. Before they came together, she's found to be pregnant in that day and time and all that was disrupted in that moment. Mary and Joseph planning to get married and all the plans that they had laid out and all of a sudden all of that crashes down. Everything changes. The whole world for them is shattered. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And can you hear the, the wrestling going on in his spirit? On the one hand, he wants to be faithful to the law, but on the other hand, he loves this woman and doesn't want to cause harm to her. And so he's wrestling with what to do and how do you thread that needle and so his, his, his solution is he's going to divorce her quietly. And in the midst of all that struggling, 
After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. In that passage, you get these two wonderful names, Emmanuel or Emmanuel, depending on whose uh, translation you're reading, the spelling, meaning God with us. And the other is that his name is Jesus, which literally means he saves. And we're going to talk about saves next week. But this week we're going to talk about God with us, that God comes to be with us. God comes to be with us. Over and over through Scripture, God comes to be with us and, and with people. I mean, you, even here, I mean, the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians even. And in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They'll worship with sacrifices, grain offerings, make vows to the Lord and keep them. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is part of what's called the new covenant. And, and in the letter to the Hebrews, the author stretches that out and talks more about that as he's talking to them about the comparison between Jesus and the priests. He says, in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as, as superior to theirs, the priests, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God fought, found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You hear Write it on their minds and on their hearts. Uh, and in the Hebrew world, you have to remember that you know, we think of hearts as this kind of emotional. So we just hear it as you know, an emotional kind of state. But in the Hebrew world, the, the heart is, is, is the core. It's the center of the person. It's what makes them who they are. So, so when the covenant is spoken this way and God says this, he's saying, Listen, I'm going to write it on the hearts. This is going to be part of who they are. They're going to know me so much that it's going to just be built into who they are. God comes to be with us, not, not just with us, but with us so close that he's at the very center, the very core of our being. And sometimes the way God comes to be with us is a little different than what we expect, right? After Adam and Eve are in the garden eating, you know, the apple they're not supposed to eat, you know. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
So, so even when they have done the one thing they're not supposed to do, listen to a voice other than God's, God still comes to be with them and to seek them out. He doesn't abandon them, but he comes to be with them. And then this is a God speaking to Moses out of the bush. I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You didn't think I could say all those names, did you? <laughs> right. I, I, you know, when the people of Israel thought that God had abandoned them and forgotten about them, God says, listen, I have heard, I have heard, and I'm coming. I'm coming to be with them, coming to be with them. Yeah, the word became flesh, he made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God comes to us in Jesus. And in you know, John 3.16, Jesus gives that great kind of statement you know, that most of us have heard, but we sometimes forget John 3.17 that comes right after it, where he goes on and says, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that gets even more clear in Luke's gospel when he says kind of his mission statement, if you will. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, this is, God comes to be with us in the midst of our suffering. God comes to be with us in the midst of our struggles. God comes to be with us in the midst of our darkness. God comes to be with us when we're lost. God comes to be with us when we're alone. God comes to be with us when we've turned our back on him. God comes to be with us. So close. So close. He's like our own heart. This is God coming to be present. It's interesting that in the last years we've gone through this, you know, we've struggled with this pandemic and, and, and wrestled with it. A lot of us have kind of come to feel that sense of being isolated or being alone or struggling. Uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a study that was published. It came out of the Human Flourishing Project at Harvard University. And uh, it's two professors that are uh, epidemiologists, if I'm saying that correctly. And, and they've studied all this stuff uh, of literally tens of thousands of people over the last 20 years about what is it that makes for the, the richness of life. And out of that study, one of the interesting things they documented pretty precisely is, is the power of coming together in worship and the ways that when we come together in worship, the way that enriches our lives and the way it contributes to our health physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. They established a really strong connection there. One of the interesting conclusions, I'm going to talk more about that in a week or so, but one of the interesting conclusions or, or things that they came up with is over the period of the pandemic, we've seen about a 30% rise in, in the rate of suicide and depression, and they estimate that 40% of that is directly due to not being able to come together and worship. Because when we don't experience the presence of God, we, we begin to lose hope. But even in difficult times when we, when we feel like we've come face to face with God, our hope is renewed. 
I don't know if you, those of you doing the Seedbed Daily Text the last couple of weeks, J.D.'s been doing this thing on encouragement. And, and one of the scriptures that he's used is this from Habakkuk and in the third chapter. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I mean, even though I, I don't have anything to eat and my crops have failed and I have no animals to, to sell, and I have no way to support myself or to take care of my family, and I may lose everything I own, and we may go hungry, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. I mean, a lot of us have come through this year and, and things have happened, and we're, we're coming into Advent with family members that aren't with us. We're coming in, some of us having lost jobs, gone through financial hardship. We've come in through struggles where we felt alone and isolated. And what I usually hear when people say, go through that, is I hear things like, why has God abandoned me? Where's God? You know, I've, I've done fires and I've done floods and I've done hurricanes in my communities at this point. And that's, that's what I keep hearing every time I, I walk into someone's house that's devastated. And the first thing they say is, where's God? I mean, if you've ever been in a, in a disaster area, one of the worst things is to walk in someone's house right when they're realizing that all of their photos are gone. All those memories are destroyed. And they feel like their whole past has been wiped out. Where's God? And oftentimes the greatest sign of hope for them is when someone shows up Someone shows up who doesn't even know them and says, I'm, I'm here to help you clean up, to help you rebuild. I'm, I'm here to be with you. They can't change what has been lost, but they've come to be with them. And it's like in that person's presence, they recognize God came to be with me. And they find hope, even in the midst of that time. Yet I will rejoice. Even though it seems like everything's lost, yet I will rejoice because God is with me. And the scripture points us forward and tells us, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a time that goes even beyond that. Right from the revelation to John, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God himself will be with them. And in God's presence with us, there's a hope. Because no matter what else is going on in the world, he came to be with us. 
We wrestled for several years after my sister's death with my mother's depression. Uh, it was extremely difficult for her. And those of you who've lost children know that the depth of grief there is different. It's different. And it has a power and a, and a depth that other kinds of grief often don't carry. And we wrestled with her as she struggled and she struggled and she struggled. And several years after that, my sister's oldest son and his wife welcomed their first child. And they named her in a way that honored and remembered my sister. And I remember seeing my mother hold that little girl for the first time. And for the first time in years, there was joy on her face. Because in the birth of that child, suddenly she realized God is with us. God has not abandoned me, but God is with us. So whatever you bring into Advent, whatever loss you walk in the midst of, hear that, that God has chosen to come and be with you, even in the midst of that. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory glory as a father's only son full of grace and truth let's pray almighty God we thank you that you've come to be with us because beyond whatever could be fixed or changed in the world it is your presence that gives us strength it is your presence that gives us hope. It is your presence that renews us in life. It is your presence that brings light into the darkness. And so we are grateful that your word from which everything comes chooses to become flesh and dwell among us and come face to face with us. And we give you thanks in the name of that word, Jesus Christ. Amen. My brothers and sisters.